Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug and play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point of sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. The Athletic. Race is on, and Alpine joined the launch party with the reveal of its new car at Endstone today, and it's the first team to have a completely genuine new car on display for us to take a look at. But what should we expect from the Anglo-French team in 2024, and just how different is its new car concept? I'm Ed Straw, and joining me with all the answers are Gary Anderson, Mark Hughes, and Damien Smith. We've got a mix of on-the-ground flavour and in-depth technical analysis for the Alpine Launch podcast. I was at Enstone, and in the first part, I had a chat with Damien Smith about the launch event itself. And then later on, we'll hear from the dream team of Mark Hughes and Gary Anderson to take a close look at the car. But before we get into all the details on Alpine, I wanted to tell you about an amazing offer that we have on right now for the Race Members Club. For a limited period, we're offering a one-month free trial membership, meaning you can enjoy everything the Race Members Club has to offer, including exclusive members-only podcasts, a reduced ad environment on the website, exclusive access to the race.com comments section, member discounts, and much more, before we take any money from you. Just yesterday, we posted a members-only podcast featuring full-length interviews from the Sauber launch, and we have lots of exciting extra audio content planned for testing too. So what are you waiting for? Sign up today and enjoy a month on us. You can find full details on how to join by clicking the link in the description to this episode. And now, it's over to Endstone to hear from Damien Smith and me. Well, you join us here so we can set the scene, sat in a car in the Endstone car park just after the Alpine launch. Cars make very, very good recording studios. I'm joined by Damien Smith, who you may have heard on the podcast before, friend of the race, author of the masterpiece book on uh, on Benetton, Benetton Rebels of Formula One, isn't it? That's the one. That's the one, Ed. Thank you very much. Yes, lovely to be back. Thank you for having me. Got the plug in early. That was the yes. important thing. And to establish your, your credentials. But we've just seen the launch. What did you make of it in general and the general tone? Well, it was an interesting one. Bruno Famine um, was very careful not to make any predictions for where they were going to, uh, how they were going to do this year, any targets, uh, any specific targets, um, because they've been caught out before, haven't they, on that one? And I mean, I think there was a recognition that they had a terrible year last year overall. Okay, uh, Bruno was keen to say how they improved towards the end of the year once he was in charge of the team as a team principal. Um, just so happens, but um, I think. 
they've got to get better, haven't they? And the drivers, um, both very positive, very optimistic, as they, as they tend to be at this time of year. Um, they're facing this incredibly long season of 24 races, and I think both of them made a, a key point about development of the car. So what they start with in Bahrain isn't going to be what they finish with. Uh, and uh, I asked Esteban about the McLaren example from last year, and he said, absolutely, that's showing the way of where we need to be. We need to be able to respond and react to what we've got and improve over the course of the year. You know, And they both want to be winning races. That's a that's a tall order for them, obviously. Um, but you know, this is a team that desperately needs to improve. The really interesting thing was Esteban Ocon uh, was talking. I did ask him about why things are going to be different because he's been at this team a long time. He joined in 2020, so this is the fifth season. He's out of contract at the end of the year, incidentally, as a, as a little footnote. But I did say, what's actually different? Because there's lots of optimism, but we go through this optimism change, optimism change cycle with this team, and it goes nowhere. And he said the right sort of things, but I do get the impression the team still feels it's a bit into the unknown. I think there's still that feeling of, well, we think we've done everything right, but history tells us we do struggle a bit. There's that big element of unknown. Um, in this period of incredible technology we've all got and the, and, uh, the Formula 1 teams have never been better equipped, they still don't know. And that's the, that's the beauty of this sport and why we're, we're all still hooked on it. Um, he's got his own personal targets, he said, uh, Esteban, and he knows... Every year is a crucial year for Formula 1 drivers, we know that, but he's out of contract, as you say, at the end of the year. Um, opportunities are opening up. He has to be 100% every race. He mentioned that he was ill toward, you know, uh, towards the end of last year. Um, just the toll of that incessant schedule took it out of him. And he's he said over the winter he's been trying to prepare to not let that happen again and that's going to be key for him just to be there. When he gets any opportunity, he's got to take it. And, and Gasly's in the same boat, isn't he? Yeah, and it's very difficult, particularly for a driver like Ocon in terms of fitness, because he's you know he's very tall. He's geometrically challenging, should we say, to get in the car. They did say he was super comfortable in this car. I did the seat fit, and it was just two minutes. Everything was good. Very different to last year, but yeah, he did he did trail off a bit at the end of last year. And there's a really interesting dynamic in the team with those two drivers because there were signs Pierre Gasly was starting to get the initiative late on and Esteban talked about bad luck and obviously he's added the fact he felt a little bit more run down a bit ill so that's always one of the most volatile and interesting driver pairings given their history yes and Gasly did mention a couple of times today about um, how much better he feels this time around coming into the season than last year which was his first year at the team and I think it's probably important we don't overlook how big a change that was for him and how much how much new stuff was coming at him from a team that's got a, a base here at Endstone and then, of course, the, the engine facility in, in Viri, um, which is a, you know, a, a challenge in itself. There was a lot coming at him last year, and plus the team was obviously underperforming. So um, no wonder he's feeling better a year on in coming in. Um, they both need a good year, don't they? Absolutely, and they'll both be looking at each other thinking, yeah, this is the year I, I bury you and make this my team. And that's how racing drivers think. But yeah, there's a lot at stake when it comes to that. But what did you make of the, the launch in general? I'm sure some listening will have watched the stream. It was obviously, it was in the their sort of hospitality space that's in the old CFD centre here at the uh, at Enstone. It's sort of underground, isn't it? Obviously, you uh, know plenty about the development of this particular site. But it was, uh, it was, a, it was a nice low-level launch and i mean that in sort of a positive way and that it's here's a car real car here's some drivers here's a few people talking and right at the heart of the team yeah it was nicely done and uh everyone was very um uh it was you know we had, we had lots of time with the drivers lots of time with with bruno um so you know i think it was a, it was a good launch as these things go we don't have enough 
uh, in the metal launches these days. It was quite nice to go to one. And it was an added bonus for us today, of course, um, for those of us who aren't just focused on Formula One, was to see the new World Endurance Championship hypercar. Um, this is a massive year for Alpine on, on, on two fronts. Formula One, they desperately need to improve on last year and to justify the investment in that Formula One team. Meanwhile, they're going into an extremely competitive um, WEC field, uh, uh, Le Mans 24 Hours. You know, Ferrari came in last year, won the Le Mans 24 Hours first time out. So they're being very careful about this being a learning year. At the same time, you, you can't afford much of a learning year, um, whether you're in Formula One or in sports car racing. So, um, yeah, it was a nice launch, very um, covered a lot of ground. Um, it was also quite nice to see Mick Schumacher as well, who was, uh, really uh, seems to be reveling in his new role on the sports car team. Yeah, he'll be enjoying being back out there and racing. Obviously, the Formula One doors seem to be closing for him. I don't think Mercedes is a realistic possibility for next year. Still there as a reserve, though, I believe. So still an opportunity, potentially, if they need a a fill-in. But, yeah, I I think that tonal thing for this whole Alpine operation is very interesting because they have been burned by the past. Obviously, this is the Bruno Faman era now, and there are lots of question marks about the team and how much runo interference there is and a lot's changed actually just all the way down the team they've got coos now appointed at enstone and very the engine side do you uh, do you think this team is in a position to avoid the historic problem of the runo ownership because it's always been very very tricky going right back to the carlos gone days long before he hid in a uh, in a packing crate and, uh, and, uh, and disappeared from certain parts of the world it, obviously his confidence in and interest in f1 was was a bit low and it's almost almost felt like the ownership endured the formula one team rather than really embraced it do you get a sense that's changing much luca de Maio was here today yes i mean they're, they're, they're making a concerted effort i think they know that they know the problems so really you'd think they're going to find a way to improve it this team's been so up and down over the decades hasn't it we've we've they've had moments obviously the, the you know the great moments uh, of world championships uh, and then so many middling years um i'm not sure has enough changed from last year so that we're going to see a huge difference this year in alpine are they suddenly going to do an aston martin style leap forward in performance at the start of the year i, I, I we're, we're, we're going to be kind of, kind of guessing here. I don't see it from what from what we've seen so far. Uh, obviously, they're talking good fights. That's that time of year when everyone does. Um, but I, I worry for Bruno Famine as well. I mean, here's a guy who was probably looking towards his retirement. Suddenly, he was thrust into the team principal role, which is very different to the, the overseeing role he had before. Uh, and my first question today to him was, I thought this was supposed to be like a temporary thing, an interim. And he's, uh, no, no, I'm fully committed. But I, I wonder, you know, does he really need this at his stage of life? particularly if things get a bit tough he's still in that honeymoon period because they did have a bit of an uptick in the second half of last season it wasn't massive but they were scoring a few more points per weekend still not enough for a team of that size there was some general progress in terms of the way the team worked I do think there's been a little bit of an out with the old in with the new in terms of the way the race team's operating obviously Alan Permain left last year so the way things have shuffled around, obviously, it's now Julian Rouse, son of Andy Rouse, the uh, touring car legend, now the the sporting director, and some little changes further down in terms of the way the organisation works in the garage. So there's lots of like little rays of light, but I still see it as a team that's going to be bouncing around roughly where it is. They were sixth last year, could be sixth again this year, could be fifth, maybe with a fair wind fourth, things go a bit wrong seventh. So it, it still all amounts to the same thing they've been doing for years, doesn't it? It does really, it does. And I, I think mid-season, if um, if the Mercedes situation hasn't resolved itself and they haven't 
named a replacement for for Hamilton. You know, Ocon's clearly, I think, going to be fancying his chances uh, with his links with Toto Wolff and his links with Mercedes. Um, And, you know, he needs to see a significant improvement this year, not to be looking ahead. I mean, you know, these two guys, both drivers, I mean, Pierre Gasly was, he's 28 today, the day we're here at the launch, it was his birthday, he was flying off to Paris for some celebrations tonight, I think. Um, They're both young guys, you know, we're seeing careers going into their late 30s, and in Alonso's case, obviously, well into the 40s, and and the same with Lewis. Um, So they've got long careers ahead of them. Uh, This is a crucial time in your late 20s, though, to really find your your place where you can actually start getting some big big results and you know that uh they need they need they need that season to be this year yeah Ocon's interesting I get the impression that he's not going all out and thinking yeah I'm definitely going to be at Alpine next year obviously he's out of contract so he can't know that but I feel like he sees options as open even before the Mercedes drive became available I must admit I I see him as a bit of an outsider for the Mercedes drive. You're right, he'll fancy his chances. But they sort of looked at him and thought he wouldn't be dramatically different to, say, a Bottas level and felt Russell was better. Has anything changed on that? I don't know. Audi liked the look of him, Sauber. So that's probably, if he's not at Alpine next year, I'd say that's the most likely destination. But he's an interesting player in the driver market because he's quite a significant piece, but he's not one of the most significant pieces, which is always a... A position of opportunity and terror for a driver, isn't it? Yeah, I, and I sensed talking to him that he knows, you know, as I said earlier, every weekend he's got to be showing something. He's got to be showing w- w- that he belongs and that he deserves something more than what he's got at the moment. Um, and I think um, uh, one of the things that I said was, is this a distraction, having having the... Uh, this, this future prospects, you have to think about it as a racing driver. You can't just live in the present. At the same time, you have to live in the present. He's got that that um, that that, um, that tension. Um, and what he did say is his management team hasn't changed. He's got the right people in his corner, he says, to do uh, to look ahead so that he can focus on the present. And he's got that long 24 season to think about, psychologically and physically tough. At the same time, um, he's, he's fighting for his future. It's really interesting, I think, from that point of view. And actually, Ocon's a real street fighter of a character as well. It's a miracle he made, to it, made it to F1, really, with the background he came from in terms of didn't have much money behind him. He got some backing from things like Genie, the, the um, gravity sports management scheme early on, which helped him get through karting, etc. But he's always had to deliver in order to have a future and sort of hauled himself up pretty improbably into F1. And he's had a, a long and pretty successful career so far. So yeah, I'm interested to see how... Uh, how that goes but yeah it's to come back to this this team as a whole it's it's such a strange team isn't it and i mean that in a positive way because even if you just look around we're we're in the car park like i said this car parks even by f1 team car parks it's famously difficult to be able to park in there are some empty spaces today but that's because it's launch day but uh, it's a tricky one if you work here space is very restricted and obviously it's grown in an interesting way because it's in the countryside you know you you can be 400 meters from this site and you wouldn't know there's an f1 team here other than the fact that you almost inevitably drive past staff having a a run in the middle of the day generally as they seem to do but it's it's such a a curious sort of setup but that's why it'd be wonderful to see this team working because it's really got character that goes all the way back to to the early days of this team as tolman yeah, I love coming here. I think it's got it has got real character. I was talking to one of the team members today, and they were saying, you know, the core middle bit of the building is essentially what was built here uh, in the winter of '92 and uh, opened. Uh, the, uh, the team came back from the flyaways at that season uh, into the new bright white factory. Everything was white apparently, and it's still it's still a bit like that now. Uh, and it's basically expanded from that core middle bit 
uh, of the old factory um, and it has got it's got a real presence about it I came from a northerly direction this time I usually come from the south but I've I've moved in the last year so I came from the north and I almost missed the turning because it's so tucked away it's so easy to miss you've got to have the sat nav running here or you get you'll miss it you will absolutely yeah without the sat nav uh, you, you get lost you wouldn't find it um, it's it's uh, and it's um, but it's got a real spirit about this place um, it's got a great tradition um, and it's um, people work here are very proud of it I found that when I was doing the research for my book um, the people who oh, you've done a book I did a book did I tell you it I did a book I did, yeah, I've written a book um, yeah but it, you know people who have a connection to this team even if they've moved on um, you know they um, they talk about what a great place it is to work and how there's a real you know it's a bit of a cliche these days but a real family atmosphere here um, and I think you can feel that here yeah, and that's why it'd be so nice to see things working well. It is curious because obviously you've got the very engine side. It's a works team, but it's the sort of most disparate works team in, in that regard. So making those two sides work together is very important. Bruno Fanon's talked about how improvements were made in the race team track side in the back end of last year, and they've really focused more on improvements in the factory now as well. So there's lots of reason for kind of gentle optimism i guess is the is the way to uh, look at it the other thing just wanted to mention on the car is obviously a lot of black on the car which we're starting to see and it's not really black it's just carbon fiber isn't it it's saving the paint seems to be the way it's quite funny actually when they because as they've done before they've got the bwt pink car which people remember you have the blue car and the pink car and the pink car will be at a few races this year bruno Fanon said it was more than a couple of races but uh, it wasn't that precise and when we will see that but they unveiled the car in front of us, which is the actual car, and then they did a video link to the main building in the race bay where they were unveiling the pink one. I'm, I haven't actually spoken to us. I wonder, what was your impression when that alternate delivery was uh, was unveiled? It didn't look very alternative, did it, really? I couldn't really tell much difference. I mean, um, you know, uh, liveries obviously don't really matter very much to the to race engineers um and uh, then they're, they're not very exciting liveries um and we do we do seem to have a lot of black colored cars on the grid for that for that reason um so um yeah i would say uh, they, they get a, a sort of three out of ten from me for, for for presentation from that point of view but you know um if it's if it's fast they won't they won't care about that i absolutely agree with that it was just quite funny given they've been so strikingly pink and i, I did get the impression i got from the murmurings in the room was a bit sort of oh that's very very sim-. it is different but not that different it doesn't feel like it's not a pink car is it it's not it's not and they, they made a bit of a big thing about delivery and uh it was really it was really underwhelming so um yeah that on that point that was probably the sort of the um the only sort of downside of the launch um but everything else you know i was impressed with how they put themselves across today um you know they're starting hopefully on a good good footing but you know we won't know until we get to bahrain Absolutely. I think that's the feeling in the team as well. They intend to shake down the car before the Bahrain test starts, but they're still finalising plans of exactly how they do that. So we will probably see that car running before the test starts on February the 21st. Thanks very much, Damien Smith. Buyer's book it is very good, and honestly it is. I have bought a copy as well as uh, as, uh, as seeing a review version. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's well worth getting. Evro Publishing, if you want to order that. And uh, I'm sure we'll hear from you again one day on this podcast so thank you thank you great to be back and i promise next time i won't mention the book that's the only reason we bring you on that's your usp <laughs> thanks ed always a pleasure looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events we've got the spot our partner StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years providing a 100 guarantee with every order from a worldwide selection of live events the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, 
an official partner of The Athletic. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Well, I'm delighted to be joined now by Mark Hughes and Gary Anderson. Mark, we'll come to you first before Gary gets into the detail. The first glance at this car suggests it's kind of a evolution of the aero concept but with big mechanical changes to try and make it all work better and the team has talked about this being a concept change so perhaps you can kind of reconcile that the broad brush strokes the talk of concept change with the fact that probably visually to most people it looks relatively similar visually it does look quite similar until you start looking at the detail and the the, the side pod shapes um significantly different um but the um the the, the big change that's been um the internal big internal project for the last year or so is the new rear suspension which is although still push rod and layout um it, it's it's um, got very different geometry and the whole um they 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 believe that that's going to fix a lot of last last year's cars ills in terms of the through corner balance and, and having this combination of a good, acceptable, responsive rotation early in the corner without that then leading to instability in the early part of the corner. Um, and that's been the sort of a generic problem with these cars because, you know, they, they tend to um, understeer at a certain speed and oversteer at another speed and then trying to get that consistent balance through the corner um, with a very powerful underfloor, which is quite difficult to tune, is, is um, what's been the limiting factor and they so this is what they believe will help them do that um they've they've tweaked the aerodynamics they've made a lot of how much more um volume they've created in the uh the like in the internal bodywork um but they they believe that the mechanical changes are what's gonna uh, make a big difference and of course, all about the interaction of the aero characteristics and the mechanical platform with this generation of cars. Gary, you've been poring over the details. So what do you make of it? What's the most eye-catching thing for you? And do you think this is the right direction? Well, as, as Mark said, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's all about the, the, the uh, suspension managing that aerodynamic platform. Um, you know, it's, it's a bit like an airplane. If the wings could just, you know, twist change angle on their own free will, the, the pilot would have a bit of a nightmare keeping the aeroplane in the air. So, and, a, and a Formula 1 car is no different. You know, these these cars are producing, you know, over three tonne of downforce at a, at a fairly high speed. And, you know, that has that that aerodynamic load has a centre of pressure which is working on the car. And if that's shooting up and down the car, then the car will become a nightmare. So suspension control of that aerodynamic platform is is critically important. You need the good aerodynamic platform first because, you know, with, with normal passive suspension as such, you know, you can't do anything with it. Uh, everybody sh- everybody's saying, oh, we should go to um, go to uh, active suspension again. And, you know, that, that would all be about just controlling the aerodynamic platform, but it isn't legal. So, you know, you, you have to try and do it mechanically with the, the suspension system you've got. So, again, as, you know, as Red Bull have done for the last couple of years, they run a lot of, 
anti-dive on the front suspension, a lot of um, anti-lift on the rear suspension. And, you know, the, the anti-dive is quite important, but it's not the end of the world because you can get away with it if you run just the car stiffer, basically. But the anti-lift is critically important because the last thing you need whenever you hit the brake pedal and want, want to turn into the corner is the rear of the car just bounces up into the air because you get the weight transfer. It doesn't matter what you got, you get the weight transfer coming off it. And if you've got the aerodynamic, an aerodynamic transfer as well because of the attitude change, then it's just a double whammy. So um, the only thing you can do, you can't really change the weight transfer. You can lower the centre of gravity and you do all, as much as you can. But you know, practically all the cars are in the same sort of ballpark. But what you have, you can do is control the centre pressure. So that's what really the suspension stuff's all about. And when you look at the suspension on this, is there enough you can actually see to pass much judgment on it? Because, of course, a lot of the detail is on the uh, the inbuilt stuff, the stuff you can't really see, but you can see the uh, the geometry. So is there much for you to draw on there? Well, you know, the front suspension has, has got um, the anti-dive on the top front waistbone. Um, it's one of those sort of situations where, you you could you can only do so much. The anti-dive on the front suspension ends up making the car a little bit dead. It doesn't quite give the driver as much feeling as he wants from it. So it's yeah, sometimes a bit easier to just lock the brakes because you're not getting the feedback from the from the movement of the front of the car. But um I don't think they've they've gone for as much, let's say, as Red Bull had last year. They've gone for more than they had last year, I believe. It's still the pushrod front suspension system, which um Again, it's, it's a little confusing. There's there's debate whether the pull rod or the, or the push rod is better aerodynamically. Um, I think it's, you know, the, to be honest, for me, the, the judgment on that is still out there somewhere. Um, I, I keep pushing about the pull rod su- suspension being able to get a higher rising rate on the, on the uh, front suspension system. So it allows you to run softer springs, but still have that support whenever you're braking or at high speed because of the rate change on the between the wheel and the and the front spring or torsion bar as it is, um, so that you know they've 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 done a bit on a particular front suspension. They've done a bit, but they haven't done as much as probably some other cars will have, um, and they haven't they, you know they haven't gone to the pull rod. So they've stuck with what they know. Obviously, there's a lot of stuff inboard there that we don't see. So they'll be you know, they'll be optimizing of that. Um, as far as the rear su- suspension layout is concerned, it's it is different. It's quite difficult to see it in, in the pictures we've seen, um, but it, it does look like it's a sort of more of a multi-link system rather than a, a than two wishbones, a top and bottom wishbone. It looks like the forward leg of the top wishbone is separated from the from the rear leg, uh, so they connect differently to the upright. And again, it's probably got quite a lot of anti-lift on it. But again, it is um, a pushrod suspension as of as last year. So the, overall, they may have different. Um, different characteristics kinematics on the on how they control the rear tire and the and the car um but hopefully you know part of the system that they've got there which is as i say is really difficult to see will be to keep the rear of the car down whenever you hit hit the brake pedal and um only time will tell whether they've, uh, they've they've done enough of it and mark one of the interesting things as you alluded to was the modifying the, the way the car works to make sure the engine's working or the power unit's working uh, as efficiently as possible, avoiding what Matt Harmon described last year as parasitic losses, which is obviously areas where you lose some of that engine power because it's just being lost to the various the various things and nothing's obviously 100% efficient. Do you think that the kind of aggregate of all these little bits and pieces they've done 
can make a dent in that small but slightly irritating for them power deficit. Matt Harmon last year described it as um, small but manageable. Um, you know, for the remaining two years of this power unit formula, um, they'd campaign the FIA to have a holiday from the engine freeze to get themselves up, you know, fully up up to speed. But that was rejected. Um, so they've they've said, well, we can, you know, we 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 can work around it to an extent, um, partly through the installation, um, which they're talking about. Uh, you know, getting the everything as efficient as possible, and in, in terms of uh, e- even went to the detail in the launch of saying, you know, we've, we've got the exhaust to come straight out rather than have any curvature in it, so there's no pressure drop, so it doesn't affect the engine. Um, they talked about the it seems that this engine needs a, a, a lower inlet per plenum temperature than than the others, um, so it's it, that has a, a compromising effect on the uh, on the car's aero so they've tried to balance that out a bit more efficiently than they had um, last year and um, the, the other thing he he mentioned was duty cycle which um, he didn't go in any further depth on that but what it implies is they they're probably just going to run it harder um, and accept that they're, they're going to use more engines and and take take the engine penalties uh, w- when they have to uh, rather than just accept the, uh, the the limitations, so yeah, it's not it's not a team that is aspiring to win the championship. It's a team that's aspiring to become more competitive and, and, and close the gap. So I think, given that they have that known limitation, um, it, it's you know it probably make probably makes sense. And and also sometimes when you start out with a known disadvantage, you end up in areas looking at areas that you wouldn't have otherwise done it and finding something that you might not have expected to find or finding more than you expected to find. And that's happened to this team before. You know, they, they started out with a, a ridiculously overweight and um, slow revving engine with the, the, the V10, the 111 degree V10. And the way that they got around that was to give it a big fat torque curve and lots of, um, you know, very efficient on fuel um, and so didn't have to start as heavy and it had great traction because it was a bit heavy and the Michelin rear tires really responded well to that and that's even after they got rid of that engine and got a more competitive power unit that's what took them to those 2005 and 06 championships that concept of car and I'm sure Red Bull have found things you know in the in the early years of the hybrid formula when we didn't have a competitive power unit which by the time they did get one when they combined to make the whole thing awesome so um, it's it's I wouldn't say it's um, necessarily a disastrous thing. Obviously, they'd prefer to have a fully competitive power unit, but I, I, yeah, I think for where the team is at, it, it's not it's not going to be the defining thing. They also said they've moved the air's battery back, the uh, the battery pack rearwards very slightly to help the weight distribution as well. One of the little detail they let slip. Yeah, there's very little difference that you're allowed, but you know there's a certain range. It's very small in, in what you're where you're allowed to have the weight distribution. It's not like it was back when Renault did the the rearward heavy car in, in the uh, in the early two thousands. But uh, yeah, it, it's obviously where they, they where they want it and how they're trying to match it up with the um, the, the center of pressure. Yeah, I think uh, you know mechanically you're allowed about one and a half percent of variation on the front uh, the, the load on the front. But the interesting thing about that is that it's it's actually when the car is uh, leaving the garage and qualifying trim. So in other words, you know, very low fuel or, or no fuel. It's not on race trim. So there is a combination of bits and pieces that you can do. You know, for example, the fuel tank has got quite a big base in it. 
Um, so if you were to move, you're able to move the airs pack back a bit. You could drop the fuel tank down on the front, of, down around the front of that that airs pack. And if you could contain the qualifying fuel forward there, but your actual sort of mechanical weight of the battery pack is further rearward, then I think you could play sort of tunes on it as far as getting the weight distribution where you want it, which is as far forward as possible for um, for qualifying. So you get the front tyres working a bit, a bit earlier. And again, then when you fill the car full of fuel, the, the mass of that fuel actually drags the, the, the weight distribution rearward a little bit. So, you know, it can help in traction. So it's, it's, it's about playing, you know, there's a tune to play there, I think, with weight distribution and the location of the fixed components, which is the errors package, battery package, uh, and then the unfixed, which is the amount of fuel you got in the car. Yeah, it's a very good point. It's all about these small details and how you distribute things for, for certain trims. So it's good they're looking at that sort of detail, whether, of course, it's done to the optimum compromises and other questions. Is there any other detail on this car that caught your eye before we talk more generally, Gary? Well, we're just talking about the side pods, and obviously that's a big area, the, the side pod inlet and, uh, and the side pod undercut. And for three cars that we've seen now, um, all of them look as though they've gone to this, which I've christened a duckbill radiator inlet. Um, none of them really quite as exaggerated as, as the Red Bull was at the end of last year, because you know, last year we saw Red Bull take three steps in that, in that inlet. All of them getting, you know, exaggerating it a little bit more, getting more airflow through that through that undercut, because it's that airflow through that undercut and the and the the uh, energy that that's got that sort of helps work the side of the floor. And you need to sort of eliminate that flow through there from the tire wake, or eliminate it as best possible from the tire wake. So the further away from the back of the tire you can get it, um, the better that energy will be in that flow. So. Yes, they've, again, it's, a, it's another part of it. They've done, in my book, you know, 90% of what they probably, you would classify as a, a, a major attempt at optimizing that area. I don't think they've done 100% by any means, but they're probably a little bit weary of, um, of just having enough cooling and, and, you know, taking that big step all at once. So I think there'll be developments in that area. Again, maybe exploiting a little bit further whenever they sort of find their feet with where they really are. So there's that, that that area down the side of the floor. They've they've gone to quite a lot of detail. Very very similar to Red Bull in the last season with the the longitudinal flap that's separated from the floor um, gives a slot gap, so you get the airflow going through that slot gap, which um, you know keeps it from being an on-off switch when it gets near to the ground. So I think that area is all better, but whether it's better enough, that's another thing. Um, if I go back to the sort of detail of the nose, because all the aerodynamic flow structure starts from, from way up there somewhere. I'm a bit, a little bit surprised by the, the fact that the nose, it just looks that little bit bulbous right at the front where the front wing joins it. Now, you know, that, that's a, a sort of an, an area where it's a compromise between how bulbous it is and the material in there for the, for the head-on imp- for the, um, impact test. Uh, on the front of the car relative to you know the structure of it and the mechanical properties of it relative to the aerodynamic properties but I, I'd say that you know it's as, it's as bulbous a nose in that area as, as anybody will have um, and it does set up that flow structure through that through and over the underneath and over the top of the front wing that goes through between the front wheels and the inside inside of the chassis and you know that's all the rest of the car has got to work with so 
if you don't influence that correctly to begin with, you can you can end up in never really recovering further back because you, you get the flow structure at the front of the car affects the flow structure at the rear of the car. I wouldn't completely rule out the possibility of seeing a slightly uh, less bulbous nose later in the season. Obviously, it's quite a structural challenge to pass the crash test there, so maybe that's something there. Looking at the last thing I wanted to ask, Gary, is you weren't completely convinced with the approach they were taking generally with front wings. I know launch front wings are, are dangerous, but it looks like it's a little bit more in the kind of direction you'd want from what we've seen, perhaps, rather than all those... Uh, they, ha- they had those different specs last year and the sort of the wavy top flaps and that kind of thing. Well, I've never been a great fan of, of changing the, 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 the detail of the flap. You know, you've, you've got to load it up somewhere. And back in the old days, if you go back to the, I don't know, mid-90s, I suppose, you know, we saw the flaps being very, worked very hard outboard and inboard allowing the flow to get to the underfloor. But, you know, that sort of changed a little bit. Um, but it's it's one of those sort of details where, again, on this car, they're, they've got a, a reasonable amount of work being done, you know, just in front of their front tyre. The, the flap, the, 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 the trailing edge flap, it's cord length there and it's height and the main plane length, you know, the forward flap of the, of the front wing. The cord there is, is also quite low. And the big problem is that the front wheels are the one thing that isn't stable. You know, as you go into a corner, depending upon the, how tight the corner is, the more steering lock you put on it. So if you've got a setup that's really working that part of the front wing, um, you will get a, 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 an influence on it, a change on it with steering lock, with varying steering lock for every different corner. So I'm not sure they've gone away from the their, their small changes in the trailing edge height that they had last year, which in my book, it, um, it sort of generates transient flow. You know, you're working one part of it harder, the airflow from the other parts that aren't working so hard will head for there or be pulled there. So... It's very difficult to manage that flow if you've got a very a big profile change in the trailing edge of the rear flap. It becomes quite difficult to sort of maintain good, consistent flow direction. So, um, yeah, um, maybe we'll see differences. You know, the, obviously the front wing, front nose, it's a bolt-on component. So I wouldn't be surprised if that's um, if that'll get developed. You know, quite soon. We'll get back to the pod in a moment, but first, a word about our partner, Grammarly. No matter what kind of work you do, how you communicate is key. All those emails, reports and presentations are equally important to the collaboration needed to get things done. And Grammarly can help. Grammarly is your AI writing partner to help you communicate more effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact at work. I know from experience that Grammarly can help you save time on any writing task and ensure you feel confident about what you've produced. In fact, 96% of Grammarly's users report that Grammarly helps them craft more impactful writing, and their tone suggestions can help you navigate even the most difficult work conversations. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Sign up and download for free at grammarly.com forward slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
Let's talk now, Mark, a little bit more generally, but based on what you've seen from this car, the concept change, how they're talking about things, what are your expectations for Alpine this season? I guess no prizes for suggesting it'll be a little bit midfieldy, considering where they've been for the past few years. Yeah, I think they've been quite aggressive in in, in what they're trying to do, and they, they promise a very aggressive upgrade package through the season. Um, but yeah, they're, they're a long way behind. I mean, they're, for a, quite a few seasons, they've been in that sort of thick end of a second off the, the front running pace and you know, contenders to be lapped before the end of the race. Now, I think the days of um, that level of performance, getting you fourth or fifth in the Constructors' Championships, probably already over. I think you're going to need to close the gap more than that just to maintain that that level in the, in the Championship. Fifth, sixth, you know, that sort of level. Um, but I think they need to have gained a lot of that performance that they're chasing just in order to stand still. Um, and I, I don't see any any reason why they won't do that. But I think the the, the, the field will continue to compress in the, the third year of, the, of the, this this formula. Um, you would hope that everybody's so, sort of got the fundamentals now of, of why Red Bull had such a big advantage in, a, in, in, in a, the first two years. And then, you know, we, we're hearing a lot of talk now from various teams about the importance of suspension. And that's something that Red Bull talked about straight away hey, back in uh, 2022. So, um, yeah, I think that feels going to compress more. And so they, you would imagine they'll, they'll be in a similar sort of area uh, to where they've been. But um, hopefully they can continue to to make progress yeah that's the uh, the optimism they've got that this is the right sort of direction and they can develop with this car over the next couple of years before the rule change but whether that'll actually play out any time will tell gary what do you make of it do you find the car that they presented and the way they're talking about it technically convincing are you expecting much of a step forward from this team well i think it's a step better um than what they had last year i can see quite a lot of positives on the car um, my biggest question is, is it enough? And that sort of depends on all the other teams, how how, how deep and involved they get with their, their development, whether they really do push the boat out and start the season with a, a car that's, you know, a, a step ahead. This, I would imagine personally, that this is a better car for, for future development than the car they had last year. But if you, you know, if you do look at some of the details on it, the, um, as I say, the side pods, you know, they... They have a bit of a compromise between um, what we know the the Red Bull has with it, the inlet, but they've also got their you know their undercut I suppose you might cut that gully down the inside of the side pod to get that air that gets pushed out of the radiator duct when the when the radiator can't flow anymore. Um, you know that that's the sort of air channel for that airflow to go in and it takes it down into the middle of the car, which you know to to talk about having high energy flow in the middle of the car is is quite difficult because you know it's beaten to death by the time it gets there anyway. Um, but you have to manage the, the, the flow that's there. So you want the, the, the flow that's actually, you know, lost its, all its energy to, to go down into somewhere like that where you can't really use it as well as you'd like to. So, they, you know, they've got details on the car that are a different step, I suppose, to call it. You call it from, from what the Red Bull have shown as being the, the requirement uh, over the last couple of seasons. But whether that all works together as one, it's a difficult thing because, you know, as I say, the raised side pod um with that undercut, with that gully on the inside of it, it's a bit like what the Ferrari was. 
in a way, and Ferrari went away from that. They've retained that this year. So it depends on how the whole thing works together. But uh, uh, looking at the car, I'm not seeing something that I would say they're going to be a, a Red Bull or a, a Mercedes or a Ferrari beater just yet. You know, they're, they're, they've taken a step in the right direction, I think, and they've opened a few doors for themselves to develop better. But I haven't quite seen it all yet um, being, you know, a package that will uh, will get them to the front of the grid. They're going to be in the midfield. And certainly to give the team credit, Mark, they're kind of managing expectations, aren't they? They're not talking up the way the season will start. They think that there's, well, that's about our concept. There's the risk that when you change concept, you have a little bit of a step back and then you start taking the steps forward. So do you think at least there's a sense of realism underpinning this team? I do, yeah. It's, it's uh, realism and with a purpose and uh, to... You get themselves in shape, ready for the the the, the formula change in twenty twenty six. So a big focus, and uh, very in the um, power unit centre, and you know I think the the aim at the, the instant part of the equation is to sort of try and get themselves state of the art on their side by the time that very has has come up with the the new concept for the new formula. Um, they've made permanent the changes that they did last year in personnel. Uh, Bruno Famine is now permanent team principal and in charge of Viria as well as Enstone. Uh, Julian Rouse is the sporting director. And I hear good things about Bruno Famine in terms of his his work ethic. You know, he's, he's hardly, you know, he's, he's always, his light's always on apparently. Till, you know, no matter how late you leave, he's still there. And you know, I don't imagine he's watching Netflix. I imagine he's he's doing doing some work. So, um, Julian Rouse, I got a lot of time for. Um, you know, I, I, I knew his dad, one of the legendary figures in touring car racing, Andy Rouse. And he's from the background of engineering. He's from a background of driver management. He was involved in the young driver development um, uh, before the, before this. Um, he's he's got a, a good all round. Um, set of experience to do a good job there and I, th- I think you will and so yeah I, um, I think now that it, it it should have settled down after the upheaval of last year and late last year uh, I, I, yeah I think they've got a good foundation there to um, you know put something down and, 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 and progress well, that's pretty much the story for Alpine. Some interesting car changes. Not expecting any records to be broken, but hopefully a solid step forward for them. Thanks very much to Gary and Mark for your insight and also to Damien Smith, who joined us for the first part of this podcast. Head to the race.com. Don't forget the hyphen loads to read there, including Gary's in-depth analysis of the car. Check out our other podcasts, including the Race F on Tech show with Gary Anderson. There'll be a new series of that coming up in the not-too-distant future. Bring back V10s as well. And our MotoGP, IndyCar and Formula E podcasts and also if videos your thing head to our youtube channel well launch season is coming thick and fast so stay with us for everything you need to know from the world of formula one the athletic 